This seminar, entitled Marriage and Family on a Mission, was recorded at the 2019 Pioneer Conference in Malaga. The speakers are Dave and Liz Holden. Great, super. Um, we want to make a start. We um, have come approaching this particular seminar uh, quite, not quite knowing where to pitch it, um, just to see what happens. So it's great to see some uh, young families that are here. And we've got John and Molly, who have been around the block 101 times, and they know more than we do about this subject, but there we go. Um, uh, and, and so what we're going to do, we've just been discussing this, is I'm going to let Liz really kind of share her heart all about this issue of families on the front line. Uh, a lot of this will be about marriage. Um, hands up if you're married. Pretty much everybody, good. Uh, we'll touch on the whole thing of children. Hands up if you've got children. Hands up if you've got grandchildren. Oh, there we go. A few of those as well. I don't think you've got... You, you don't look old enough to have grandchildren, but there we go. Good try. It was just lost in translation. Okay, great. Um, uh, and then I'll be sharing a little bit as well. And then maybe if we've got the time, what we'd really love to do, because we want to make sure we're uh, really communicating with you where you're at, we might get you to just into group, small groups and have a bit of a feedback over some questions we've got to ask you and you might like to ask us. So we'll get going. We just don't want to do all the talking. It's a subject that we've over the years spoken on many, many times. Um, and what we found over the years is engaging in seminars. Seminars are not the same as main sessions, so we'll have to have a little bit of interaction if we can. And Liz is saying, stop talking and hand over. Great. Yes. Well, it's a real privilege to share. And um, it's our marriage. We've been married, tell you a bit about us. We've been married for 40 years. We have three daughters and one son, all married, and 13 grandchildren. Um, and in fact, it was in January this year we celebrated our 40 years anniversary, which is the ruby anniversary. And I said to Dave, where's my ruby? And um, he said, oh, you've got one. It's a granddaughter called Ruby who was born just before our wedding anniversary. <laughs> He's still not actually got out of that one, I'm still waiting. Um, so when we got married, Dave is already leading the church in South East London. Um, I'd been a, um, it wasn't an ideal start for a couple in ministry. I don't know if it ever is. Um, I was a backslidden Christian for seven years, right out in the world. I came back to God dramatically and met Dave, which was not my plan. My plan was to serve God overseas as a nurse, but God's pushed this man in front of me and the rest is history. <laughs> um, but when we married, Dave was already leading a church that um, had literally been planted out of a Baptist church. It was about 150 people our age and younger. It was total chaos. Um, We'd been married a year and um, we hit massive problems in the church, mainly about the issue of legalism and grace, because we started teaching on grace and um, it was all quite new in those days. So we were very charismatic, but very little grace. And as we started to lay those foundations, of which Steph was talking so brilliantly this morning, of grace in the 
bottom level of the church, then it caused huge conflict. And I think one of the um, dangers we were in, that we were quite isolated, although we did have apostolic fledgling input in those days from Terry Virgo, um, he wasn't present on the ground with us. And I think that was a weakness which we did suffer from. And we had a year when Dave got really quite ill and there was a lot of um, spiritual warfare going on. And I think at, for me as a relatively new Christian back into the life of church, although I had these brilliant foundations from my youth, from a beautiful Christian family, I was fighting to gain my own identity in Christ. And it's amazing how when, you know, you're not in an ideal church planting situation as a couple, God still uses that mm. to make you grow deep in mm -hmm. God. And I think, if you like, my first point is, as a married couple, it's your personal responsibility to grow in your relationship with God, to get deep in the Word, as again Steph was saying this morning, because I hadn't been in the Word for years, but with Dave being ill, with conflict in the church, some of it with relatives of ours, it was like a war was raging, but I knew I had to deepen my roots in my faith, my understanding of who I was in Christ. I couldn't rely on my husband. I think when we first got married, I sort of thought, wow, he's this amazing, godly man. He's been to Bible college. You know, I haven't. I've been living on a Greek island. Yes. Um, so so there was this, these two worlds colliding. Yes. And, um, but it was great for me because I had to forge my depth in my faith, in who I was in Christ, in not, if you like, oh, I'm now um, a leader in a church, but actually I'm a disciple of Jesus and I want to find out what his plans for me are and growing God. So I'm gonna just start by just talking about marriage and how important it is, particularly in leading churches. Um, you know, the commitment and ongoing investment in your marriage is not just for your own happiness. It's the place where we demonstrate God's heart for community. It's the place where we just, it's a starting place for mission and for demonstrating that gospel of grace, which when we were first married, that's what we were doing, just demonstrating the grace of God to a, um, a very new community of people. And it's the quality of who you are together. Mm. You can't shortcut the depth of your marriage to, in church, in leading church, because it, it will show. <laughs> um, if David and I are not enjoying a richness and a depth and an intimacy and love together, our influence on others will be diminished. It will be at least superficial and lacking integrity. And when you have kids who come along, they're the first to notice when things aren't right. Um, and with our children, we've always given permission to be honest and authentic. We would have meal times where everyone's allowed to say what they think. And more often than not, the focus would be on dad and where he's not doing so well. <laughs> but it was great because, you know, they felt permission to speak and they would always notice if um, 
they thought we were at odds with each other or, you know, things weren't quite right or they weren't seeing dad enough. That is just so important. But it's that concentrating on who you are and actually your influence. So I'm just going to quote one of my favourite men, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and you've probably even read this yourself. Marriage is more... He wrote this to his niece from prison because he couldn't attend the wedding, so he wrote this on the before she got married. Marriage is more than your love for each other. It has a higher dignity and power, for it is God's holy ordinance through which he wills to perpetuate the human race until the end of time. In your love, you see only your two selves in the world, but in your marriage, you are a link in the chain of generations, which God causes to come and to pass away to his glory and calls into his kingdom. In your love, you see only the heaven of your happiness, that soon fades in the first year of marriage. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession. But marriage is more than something personal. It is a status, an office. And I think it's so great to realise our marriage, our union, is just if you like, the bedrock of what we are as a couple and what we give in the life of our church, whether it's a church plant or we've been in leadership for a long time, just how important it is. Who you are is what you give. And if it's not good, then it's unstable. And, you know, as when we go back to scripture at the whole thing of marriage and the qualification of people who lead churches, you do have to take it at face value as to how important the marriage relationship is. And in 1 Timothy 3, you know, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not gentle, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, mm. how will he care for God's church? Mm. And in the last bit, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace or a snare of the devil. And so I think, you know, our position in our marriage, we must fight for it all the years we're married. We must devote ourselves to it because it's our reputation as a couple that is at stake in, um, if you like, the public ministry that we've found ourselves. If we can't reflect the heart of God in community yeah. in our relationship together, yeah. then we actually haven't got much to say yeah. outside. And I just say, we, you know, over 40 years, we've hit some tough times. We've hit some battles together from outside forces, but also from within. When we've you know, misunderstood, when we've drifted apart. But each time, God is full of grace, isn't he? He forgives us. We have to forgive each other. Billy Graham said, when asked, what's your best um, you know, thing for marriage? What would you say, what would be your best tip? He said, two good forgivers. I like that, you know, get used to forgiveness and love and, you know, battling for each other, don't back off. 
And so often, David and I, over these 40 years, have questioned leaders who we've looked to that maybe people in our church are looking to and feeding off on the internet. Dave will always say, well, who is this guy? Who's he married to? What's his marriage like? Is he at home? Is he accountable? These are all questions that we would always ask of others, so we expect people to ask it of us. <laughs> and our homes, our marriages, are a reflection of God's Father heart and his desire for community. It's a shelter for many who come under its shade. It's an anchor of stability to support help for those in distress. And everyone is looking to belong. Um, we have a spiritual longing for our eternal home. Tim Keller said, we are all exiles, always longing for home. And for me as a prodigal daughter, what drew me back to God was being in the home of believers and finding that grace, that love, that beautiful um, family connection. And the measure of your hospitality is not decided by the size of your house. And I know some people church planting in Paris who live in tiny apartments, but it's decided by the size of your heart. So don't have a narrow view of your home's impact and potential. Building a home takes wisdom. Proverbs 14 verse 1 talks about women building their home, how important that is and how foolish the foolish woman tears it down. Um, in the Old Testament, in Ruth um, 4.11, it says, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So we know this, but church planting plays a central role in terms of the home. Jesus views home as the key place for his influence, doesn't he, in his travels. And in the New Testament church, the place of home is an expression of community and a place of mission moves up a big gear. And I think this whole thing of hospitality and your home being a place of shelter and comfort for others is so important. So who is benefiting from your marriage and um, your home at this season of your life? I mean, New Frontiers is known as a relational movement. You know, is your heart... Is your, is your life and your home reflecting this relational heart of God? Over the years, um, people in our lives have come through our home and um, we've had single mums being a part of our home, being a part of our influence. We've had um, single people live with us. Um, we have just had so many people coming through our home and it's just natural for our kids to welcome people into our home. It's been part of growing up as being this thing. Oh, I'm just skipping some of that. So just to say all these things about, you know, being a place of the gospel of grace, of being a family that has people in your home, it's not a contradiction to actually what our the mainstays to actually be in place in your marriage are so important in order for the wider thing to um, be successful. So Dave's now going to come and speak about the things that I think we've included in our lives over 40 years, the whole need to be 
Our marriage is to be exclusive, no one else comes in. The importance of communication, being partners, being a team together as husband and wife, and then I'll talk about being accountable. <laughs> That's my point. Okay. Um, I think all of these things we're touching on are relevant to any Christian in any environment of normal church life. Um, I just suspect that when you're planting a church, which is the context that we're trying to look into with this, those things become exaggerated. They become even much, far more to the fore. So most church plants obviously be smaller group settings where things are yet to be established. So everything, everything's on display. Everything can be seen, which is why the, the, the issues that we're addressing today are so vital. Um, they're, not, they're not something that you can get away with. They're not shortcut uh, situations. So this is a real, real thing. That's right. Come here. If you want to plant... If you want to plant a church and you're a married couple and it's a small environment, then all of these things are absolutely essential. You, you won't be able to do this if there's a problem. If there's a problem in your relationship with one another, if there's a problem with the way you're raising your kids, they, they can be issues. It's sad, isn't it? Sometimes we get into a situation where this couple have got real potential and they're planting a church, but the problem is their marriage. Or the problem is you should see their kids. It's kind of like automatically there's a bit of a problem there so we can't we can't have those things and the answer is just to work really hard at this and not to see this as an additional little thing that needs to be dealt with this is absolutely essential for church planting so we're always encouraging church planters to really make sure that this part of your life is is built in it's foundational this is going to have an effect on the DNA of your church community it's going to have an effect on your evangelism it's going to have an effect on the kind of church that you build so this is absolutely essential that it's part of it let me touch then on three things that we've found have been absolutely crucial as we've had these years together in our marriage the first one is exclusivity there just happens to be um, a union in marriage that can't afford for anybody else or anything else to come between. So it's our personal love and devotion to one another is more important than our children, more important than the church plant, more important than evangelism, more important than the pastoral needs of other people. And you just have to make that as a decision. It's a priority decision. You don't have to pray much about it. I would suggest don't bother fasting. It's just, it's just a decision that you need to make. So you have to nail this, that this is an exclusivity between us. There is just something really wonderful about the union of a husband and wife together in marriage that actually excludes everybody else. So we have four children. They've been wonderful. They're invasive. <laughs> they want, and then when they become teenagers, it's just like you have some teens and you can't communicate with them, they're really infuriating. But then they decide there's a moment when they do want to communicate with you, and it's 11 o'clock at night and they're sitting on the edge of your bed, and you're thinking, why choose now? But you realize they're not very communicative, so it's now or never. <laughs> But this is not going to be normal life for us and you're not going to invade the exclusivity that Liz and I have with one another. We've learned this, other people have spoken into our marriage 
and said, you know, you guys are fantastic with your children, but you're in danger of excluding one another in this relationship. And you have to get, you have the permission to make sure that this exclusivity is kept. So listen, I've done many things in our lives, at se different seasons of our lives, to maintain exclusivity. It's vital that no one else kind of gets into it. This is a love union that we do not share with anybody else. Some marriages can be dominated by their children. Children become an idol in the married relationship. Hey, guess what? Good parenting is raising your kids to a place where they leave you. <laughs> and some people find that very offensive for me to say that it's true. If you're a great parent, it's not, oh no, they're now leaving. I'm going, well done. It's now the time for them to leave. I, three daughters, I have, I have walked down the aisle. And on various occasions, people said to me, apparently I was grinning as I was bringing them down. I wasn't aware of it, but a great smile on my face as they came down. Yeah, one person said to me, why is this sad moment? Why are, you, why are you grinning so much? And my answer was simply, I've had this woman for all these years, and there's a guy standing here, chum, over to you. If you really want to live the rest of your life with her, good luck with that. It's kind of like, I've done my part as a parent. I understand that exclusivity means they leave me, but my relationship with my wife carries on. Amen. Just the same as always. Mm. So we watch marriages sometimes where the children leave home and they, the couple will look at one another as strangers. Mm. Isn't it sad? You hear people say, well, we're keeping together because of the sake of the children. That's a disaster. You stay together because of your union and your love with one another. Depth of love, you know, you see 1 Corinthians 13 and it describes, you know, love never fails. Love, love is this, it's a picture of the exclusivity that you have. I had the privilege just three weeks ago speaking at a huge wedding in our church. It was absolutely packed and it was many, many non-Christians there. It's hard at a wedding to know where to pitch. I just felt God speak to me to say, speak on love and what it isn't and what it is. And those of you, particularly in the UK, will know Love Island. So I spoke on the difference of Love Island, which incidentally I have never watched a single episode of. And uh, <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. I've never seen it. And I compared what I understand through people that do see it compared to what the Bible actually teaches. And the contrast is massive in terms of what real love is. And it's this exclusivity that's there together. And we need to keep working at it. Liz and I, after 30 years of marriage, went up to HTB and hid behind a pillar and did the marriage course. Yay! Um, after th and people were really shocked. Were you doing a marriage course after 30? We needed to refresh our marriage and see how we were going on. It was a hilarious experience for us because we've been married 30 years and around us we were obviously surrounded by people who only married one or two years and they were very intense in their conversations. And we were laughing, and sometimes they were in tears, and we're looking at them, it's so sad that you're in tears. You'll, you'll get through that, and out the other end. And then a couple of years ago, we went on a retreat, just the two of us. Um, and we spent four days together, exclusively, talking about our marriage, we talked about our spiritual lives, we talked about the next 10 years, we talked about our family, we talked about our sex life, we talked about our health, we talked about the pace and rhythm of our lives. One of the things I've been astounded about over the years is how some couples just drift through life 
and they never really take the time to talk to one another about how we're doing. Please do that all the time. Take time out. If you haven't done that, do it. That leads me on to the second, so that's exclusivity. The second thing is communication. To take time, charge of our diary, to plan our lifestyle. We're constantly talking, communicating about how we're doing and how the kids are doing and whether we've got it right. We, we plan a year ahead, we plan a month ahead, we plan a week ahead and even during the week we talk to one another about have we got this week right and are we doing how we're doing and uh, so you can see we talk a lot to one another and that's very very important. We talk a lot to one another because we're very different people yeah. and so um, we're different because we're male and female, I'll just put that to a side, I'll come to that in a moment, but we're different in our personalities. So I am a kind of planning ahead kind of person, which some people would say is really boring. Liz is a complete spontaneous at the moment person, which is actually fraught with danger. So those two things come together. I was raised in a family that had money, and so I, I take money for granted. Liz was raised in a family that never had any money. So the moment we, that first year of marriage is really interesting when these two people collide together. I remember moments when we would go shopping and we'd spend forever trying to buy Liz some clothing thing and, uh, and, and we'd go from one shop to the next. And I couldn't understand the difference between this, it looked the same as the other place. And what was going on here was one was like in those days five pounds, which is a lot of money I suppose, but five pounds cheaper than the other one. And I was spending a Saturday afternoon going back and forth, not over what it looked like, but over the price of it. And I said, for goodness sake, it's only five quid difference. That was my upbringing. Her upbringing was, you've got to be careful. So you bring these things together. Now I'm far more cautious with my money, and Liz spends it without even telling me about it. Those two things come together. So communicating when you're very different in your personality is really important. Then, of course, there is the difference between male and female. And um, so I can only speak from a male. So I'm talking to the men now, point of view. This thing of communication is really, really important. You're busy planting a church in some European city. You're thinking, we've got to get on with planting this church in this European city that's all about. Yes, but at the same time, you've got to learn how a man and a woman live together and communicate with one another. It's really, really important. <clears throat> so two, two things from a, men's, a man's point of view that we've learned over the years. One is this, that Men, we are meant to listen. <coughs> Communication isn't just talking a lot, it's actually also listening. I had no idea, I'm a talker. I mean, I just talk, talk, I do it for a living. I get paid to do it. I'm good at talking. I'm also a church leader that sorts out lots of problems, so I'm used to fixing issues. This is a very bad combination in a marriage. So my wife starts talking to me and I want to interrupt her sentences and actually tell her the answers before she gets to the end of her sentence. After 40 years, I'm still doing this, am I not? I'm still phoning. You told me yesterday, I, anyway, so I'm still doing this, I'm still interrupting. Why are you interrupting me? Well, it's partly because I think I know the answer. I've got three solutions to your problem, Liz. I can fix this. And over the years I've had to learn, she doesn't want me to talk, she, doesn't, she just wants me to listen. And she certainly doesn't want me to fix the problem. 
um, the fixing of the problem is a, a woman needs to know she's been understood and that she knows she's supposed to have been listened to. This has been a constant dilemma throughout my life, uh, my married life, just trying to get this kind of thing worked out. There have been occasions um, in our married life where Liz has been very emotionally upset about something and as a, a guy who doesn't express his emotions as much as I should, I've kind of just tried to talk around it and talk around it and try to understand it, etc. I remember one occasion, just before I was going to go out to a meeting, um, she was pouring out her heart to me and I didn't really understand what she was saying and I remember saying to her, but I've got to go to a meeting and I left her in a pool of despair, which I wouldn't do now, of course, but in those days I did. As a young, zealous pastor of a church, I left her. And, uh, and then came back after this meeting, I can't even remember what it was about, and she was still like this. And in the end, through tears, she said, I just needed you to put your arm around me. You weren't supposed to fix it or understand it. I just, didn't, you know, I just needed you to put your arm around And I just came back thinking, then why didn't you just tell me that you needed my arm around? I just so didn't understand the situation. So out of sync. And so I need to learn to make sure I listen, don't fix her, and, and just let her speak. The other thing is a total contrast. So I'll just share it with you. Men go into caves. I mean, not literally, but they go into caves. They go into themselves. So on the one hand, I talk too much. On the other hand, apparently, I go very silent. And Liz says to me, why, why are you going into your cave? Why are you going silent? This is a real dilemma for men, to know when to go into the cave, <laughs> and when not to go into the cave, and when to speak and not speak. I mean, it's one, you know, it's one of those mysteries. When, you're all, when we get to heaven, we ask the Lord questions. Some of you have got great deep theological problems and questions. I'm just going to say, Lord, why did you make men and women so different? You know, it's kind of like a dilemma throughout my life. I can honestly say that because communication has become something that's been outstanding with Liz and me, as it's taken a long time, but now it's an outstanding place, that we've changed one another because of good communication. Mm -hmm. The third area is just learning how to be a team so it's exclusivity, it's great communication in church planting, very important. And what's even more important in church planting is that you are a team together. Don't think that if you're a married couple, it's not that the guy's planting the team and the woman's just hanging out. We've already heard that yesterday. You're a team. You're a partnership. You're unique. You're partners in life. Your calling is a joint calling. You're just kind of live in in quite a complicated world um, in, in the sense that um, more and more these days couples are living in different worlds to one another and I I'm not here to make a comment on that you know a lot of it is financial a lot of it is just you know how are we going to do this unless that happens I totally get that but even if that is the, the case learning how to be a team together is vital Learning how to do things together is learning how to be in each other's worlds, particularly if you're complementary of one another, particularly, listen, I have different gifts, definitely, and so we need to make sure that to, 
Our calling is not individualistic. Our calling is a couple together. Our strengths, our weaknesses, our praying together, our faith goals, our home, our hospitality. All of this is vital for us to give what we are. And I've come to the absolute conclusion that if I go on a trip somewhere and it's just me only, that's all you're going to get. But if Liz and I go on a trip together, you're going to get the best of both of us. I actually go on trips sometimes and the people I go visit thought that Liz and I were actually come together and they've actually said to me, is it just you? I mean, they've said it like that. Is, is this it? I'm, I'm sorry. It's just going to be me this time. Why are they saying that? Because they know that something's missing. There's an enriching of something that we are together. I'm actually going to touch on this on the final morning of this conference when I'm speaking on Ephesians 4 Ministries. But I just want to say this, that I, I've kind of realised that, that I'm only going to give you half of what I am because I'm married. So when you can give what both of you have got, you get the richness of it all. And we go to loads of meetings, we spend our lives in meetings. But one of the great joys of apostolic ministry and the strengthening of church plants, as we were hearing some point already in this conference, the strengthening of all of that. I don't mind the meetings, but what Liz and I really love is being in homes and being with families and talking about marriage and actually getting engaged with the children of the church planters that we are just visiting. So there's a whole environment there. And we don't mind going to the meetings and we'll preach and teach, but I wonder sometimes if the real thing is us as a couple together, Dave and Liz together, being in a home with somebody and becoming intimate and understanding what's going on and the things that they're facing, that that's just as valid apostolic input as the preaching bit that people want to hear. So we're partners together, we're a team together, Amen. Amen. Um, so because we've been married for 40 years, there are different seasons of life. So there's been seasons where I haven't left home, I have missed lots I've never got to the Brighton conference back in the day, in the leaders' conferences. Terry would say, but Dave, where's Liz? And he, Dave would look at him and say, we have a family, Terry. <laughs> we can't leave the kids at home alone. So, so often, I, if you like, it was a real sacrifice because I would miss stuff. But in the long term, when you look back on it, yeah, I would much rather have been in that position as the homemaker and the carrying the family at home. So it's working out in each season and addressing it constantly. Is it best for me to be at home this time? Is it best for me to travel? Even if you're very local, you know, how much you come and go. If um, the wife's in full-time employment, handling that scenario together but still keeping engaged in what your mission is and your experience. I mean, Dave had to learn to tell me what was going on because he would yeah. come back from somewhere and I'd say, so what happened at prayer and fasting? He said, it was great. It was just <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> so he started taking notes to fill me in and to inspire me and to bring me up from the domestic bliss of filth and nappies, you know, and <laughs> to help me. So it's a constant conversation through the seasons of life. 
Um, have shared, I'm just reading what I put here, have shared interests outside of church ministries. This is for your health, mm. all right? Yeah. Whether you join a gym together or you love walking or whatever it is, you've got to make life richer, broader. If you want to engage in, 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 a, in the culture, you, you need to be in it, yeah, don't you? Not yeah. just locked away in your Christian experience. Yeah. Often if, if the wife is out in the, um, you know, it, she's that one out in the workplace in the world, she, she's obviously got a lot more <laughs> broader things than the, than the guy. You need to make sure you've got other interests and that you dive into each other's worlds. Um, we're very different. Dave loves sport, music, history, the world. You know, he just loves all that stuff. Whereas I'm into creativity, culture, painting. I can make stuff. I'm the one with the drill, not Dave. <laughs> Even, um, yeah, I'm the one who makes things work at home. But doing things together, having fun together, Honestly, you can get terribly boring if you're not learning how to live life and enjoy yeah. it. God's given us this incredible creation to enjoy, and as Christians, we get the best of it because we understand it. Um, making memories. Do you go away together? Do you? We've left our kids with some, you know, very suspect people. But, uh, <laughs> they've told us after they've grown up, they come home like at Christmas and their spouses look at us with horror and they tell them who we left our children with but it's not that we don't care I guess that sometimes we did take a risk but um, we, we just valued learning to enjoy together and, and escape and having memories and our kids never suffered for it <laughs> so the fourth thing is account being accountable that was the thing David did those three and this is the fourth one so in every season of your life together, to have people in your life who speak into it. Don't go it alone. Yeah. I think in those first two or three years of our married life, um, the only people we knew were at a distance. And so it wasn't a lot of input. And I think we would have benefited hugely if we'd have had a bit more connection. So different stages means finding different people. Um, you know, not just those who only say nice things. And it's giving people permission, isn't it? Yeah. Um, over the years, we've had, particularly with Dave's wider um, translocal ministry, we've made really great deep friendships with people, um, you know, in other networks and connections. And so we've made ourselves accountable to friends and kept in contact and they've spoken into our lives when they visited. I mean, we've had people come and stay in our home for a couple of weeks when we had young children. And because they come now and again, they see very sharply if things are going on because they're not with us all the time. And Dave, I know, mentioned that when we had teenage children. We went out for dinner with, um, it was John and Linda Lampman from the States who we are very deep friends with. And they're older than us, so um, that helped in terms of their perspective and wisdom. And for, unfortunately, Linda wasn't with him that time. It was just John, which is always dangerous. So it was the two guys and me out for dinner. And John really spoke into my life and he said, Liz, you know, you just give your teenage kids so much time. They are an emotional black hole that you've fallen into. <laughs> Dave, 
He's all alone. I mean, I was furious. I was like, how dare you speak to me like that? You have no idea what teenage children are like. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I calmed down. Because <laughs> it was true. It was true. I was so involved with my teenage kids. I was too tired to make love at the end of the day. It's easy. I've got a real headache, darling. Just leave me alone. And I'm thinking, thinking about this issue and that issue and... You know, and John said, Liz, you know, they're all going to leave you and they won't care because they'll fall in love and you won't be important anymore. But Dave, you know, you're with him for the rest of your life. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just making a point here that sometimes having others coming in like that and pointing things out that you don't like is so important. And even today, um, particularly... Uh, we have different people speaking into our lives in our team at home. We meet every month as elders and wives and we share our lives together. Sometimes we pick on one couple and they have to tell us how they're doing. And there's that, it's just being authentic, isn't it, and honest. And it's so refreshing, even if it, you're going through a difficult time. And even recently, a couple in our eldership team, I just noticed she, the wife, just didn't seem very happy, she was very quiet, and just drawing it out and saying, well, it's no good just helping her, we need to sit you down as a couple and let's chat what's going on here. It's just so important how things can just be hidden and we mustn't do that. And then in our new ground core team, um, we go away particularly once a year as couples and we have three days to pray, to share, to be honest, together so that's seven couples I think we go away for three days and so I'm just showing you we don't all the years you've been married you still need you still need that very important thing of accountability and even for Dave and I with people of other spheres we get together with them so Scott and Claire Marks who lead disciple nations in Zimbabwe we meet with them and have days away together to make sure they're okay and we share together. So it's hugely on our radar. It's very important for our marriages to continue to need safeguarding because we are in a battle. Mm. And if the enemy can take out a marriage, yeah. then the whole church Absolutely. suffers. And sometimes for years, yeah. um, things can happen and go yeah. wrong. So this is why we're doing this seminar, isn't yeah. it? So we're going to stop there, right? And. Um, I have got three questions, but also I think we'll get into groups so you can discuss it. And then if you've got, I, Daniel's got a question. Do you want to ask it first? Is that right? Go on then. Um, <laughs> when David's talking about communication, I think um, it would be great if Anna was here, my wife, to speak for herself. But I think one of the biggest points of tension in our marriage is that on my day off, I don't want to talk about church. And that's the one opportunity to talk about church. Mm. And I find that's especially acute if it's hard. If I'm going through a hard time at church, I really don't want to talk about it, but she really does want to talk about it. And so we feel like that's our marriage at its worst. And I just want to, like, how do we solve that problem? I think we'll be very, we have been very similar to that. But, um, in, in fact, saying last Monday, we, we agreed together not to talk about church. <laughs> 
This is my one. I just want to shut down from it. That's a Sabbath, isn't it, for us? If you're full-time in ministry, you're, well, you, Sunday is not your Sabbath. So you need to find... And one of the things we've been very, very strong on is we've always had a day off out of seven days. But that's not the day. This is me. I, if Anna was here, she might argue with me. But my, 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 it's not the day that I want to talk about such. So we kind of agree together on that. So we are finding other opportunities to talk about what what it is that's there. One thing I've learned over the years, I think, is um, to discern um, what to talk about, Liz, what to talk to Liz about that I don't dump on her. And so I think over the years, the danger is you dump on your wife because you're basically carrying a lot of emotional baggage with you. And um, I've realized that if I'm carrying emotional baggage, I can't hide that from Liz, she's going to see it. But when do I do that? What's the most important time to do that? It's probably not lasting at night either. So you are trying to find um, moments where it's important to do that. And to discern, there are some things I don't share with Liz. So I come out of an elders meeting, for instance, where we've been, as it says in, I think, one, uh, in Timothy, doesn't it, uh, direct the affairs of the, the church or something like that. Yeah, 1 Timothy 5, I think it is. Elders are called to direct the affairs of the church. I've kind of had to learn over the years, what are those things that it's not helpful for Liz to be dumped with because she's not in a position to do anything about it? It's horrible if you're a wife and you're just dumped with your husband's problems, which are the church's problems, and she doesn't have any ability to do anything about it. So I've had to learn to discern when are those moments and what are those things. But honestly, if you're carrying stuff emotionally and it's, it's got to you, then she does need to know about them. But I think it's a case of when. So I'm kind of with you on that. Have you got anything to say? I think we would, particularly if there were pressing issues that we were both you know, involved in and aware of, um, we would go out, leave the kids at home. <laughs> if you've got teenagers, I don't know how old your kids are. Yeah, little ones, you know. Um, we would take a couple of hours at the end of the day or something or get a bit, go out and discuss That's good. Discuss those issues, mm. you know, really give some concentrated time for them. Um, yeah. It's really important that you, you, you can both and be on the same page as the things that you're dealing with, isn't it? Really important. Yeah. And so that um, she knows how to pray for you. And, you know, I know sometimes Dave's carried something some issue maybe in another church that, as I can tell, has really burdened him down. I said, you must tell me. I need to know and, and to pray together and to help one another in those things. Is she full-time working? No, she's at home. She's at home, yeah. yeah. So she wants to know, and you want a day off of not knowing. <laughs> it's carving out those extra times, I think. Mm. My feeling is that there's, there might be some people with other questions similar to that sort of thing. We really want to, so if there aren't any, we can go into the groups. But I do, we've only got 20 minutes, so I don't want to miss opportunity. Sometimes a, a valid question is, is something oh, that's touching really something. good for us to answer. So has anyone got a question? Put yeah, your hands up if you've got a question. So I know, okay. His hand went up first. Similar <laughs> So similar to you, I'm a, I'm a planner, and my wife is spontaneous. Um, and so one of the struggles I've had is getting time together. We kind of have to plan it because we've got busy. Life. But 
that feels instantly to her. It's like, oh, planning time together to, it feels, it's the opposite of what she wants. She wants me to, you know, turn up with all the flowers around and say, darling, we're going out. Um, how do you work through that kind of um, difference? You do both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I had to learn that planning is very important. And I had to die to my, oh, this is so organized. I've now got to jump into the deep emotional stuff. Because um, it's in a box like that. But actually, nothing happens if it's not planned. And I've now become the best planner by, it, it's bowing to each other's strengths, actually, and gleaning and learning to glean from that. But, we need those plans, we need those diaries, but then also carving out and taking the initiative and the spontaneous. So I would encourage your wife to look in your diary and see where there's a space and come and get you from your office or somewhere and do something spontaneous. I've done that in the past. Spontaneous things, or sometimes plan things that then look spontaneous. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the, the thing. It's a combination of, of, of both. It's, it's learning, when you're a spontaneous person, it's learning that planning is not the en enemy of spontaneity. I think that's the, that's the issue. And I think that's what we've probably. You've learned that, haven't you? That mm. it's actually a good thing to do that. But I've also had to learn to just be chilled a little bit, because I really am. I, my kids used to call me the list man. And um, that when we were, so a good example is holidays. So when we arrive at the place we're going on holiday, this is all sponta spontaneously chilled and what will be will be. And the kids used to look at me. I'd already planned each day of the holiday out where we would go, what we would see. And if it's raining on that day, there's a National Trust property place we can go. I mean, I really planned this. And they really didn't like me for it very much at all, because it's all about spontaneity. But as the years went by, they kind of got it, that actually it was actually quite helpful to plan some of these days. So, um, but now as not so called the list man, because I've learned to chill a little bit more on that. So it's a combination of things. Another question. Uh, well, Daniel, uh, Daniel Goodman, a very quick one then. Okay, it's about, um, you, you, you've just talked about one of you is spontaneous, one of you likes to plan, but you submit your yeah. preference. <laughs> to, to what extent do you do that when one's an introvert and one's an extrovert? And you're trying to say, well, we want to have people in our house, so you need to, you need to submit your introversion to this need. But at some point, that goes beyond what someone can cope with. So how do we think about that? Yeah. What, how, can I, how much can I ask my wife to do? <laughs> How much does she ask me to do? That's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> I think you, you learn to communicate and talk about why is it too much for her? Mm. What's been going on in the family week? You know, when Dave would ask, you know, this new couple home for lunch on a Sunday, you know, and then several other people have come and I'm trying to you know manage the home the kids are exhausted it's it's learning is this a faith issue where I need to think hey come on this is what we're about this is what we do it's discipling one another to know and to learn together because sometimes it would be 
that was very unwise. And when I look at the week we've just had, you know, I needed to see you on this day <laughs> and spend some time with you. And then, and then other times when hospitality is very important. I don't think that's a very helpful answer, but um, that's good. That's good. <laughs> it's, um, and, and I just think, sadly, you have wisdom. to. Sometimes you learn through your mistakes. So I think we've actually, we've actually planned things or been spontaneous, and then we've both agreed that was just not good. We're exhausted. Why on earth? I think you've often said to me, "Why on earth did you?" But it's like hindsight, looking back. And so we, we, we find together that's not a sensible thing to do for whatever reason, but we've kind of learnt it through the hard way. Right, another question. Yes? I just love to hear about your prayer life as a couple, and oh. specifically how that fits into the bigger picture. And Great. How, how have we managed about our prayer life as a couple? I think John and Molly are far more gifted and able to answer this <laughs> question than we are through all the adventures they've had in their lives. Um, Fundamentally, it's vital to pray together. Um, we, we're a very um, praying... It's a bit like... Um, this is not an excuse, but it's a bit like Steph said today about abiding in the Word. I think in our marriage, we've realised not to beat ourselves up when we haven't had these set times of prayer. So I think it's wonderful when it happens, but don't beat yourself up when it doesn't. Um, because we're all made slightly differently. So we've been a, a couple and a family that pray on, pray on the move. We're just praying all the time. We're grabbing one another, beginning of the day, the end of the day, before we go to bed at night. Um, you know, we, we, we're always vulnerable, aren't we? So we're getting sicknesses and things. Um, Liz, Liz is always praying for me um, to be healed, and I never am. I pray for her, lay hands on her. She's instantly healed every time. <laughs> Um, that says something, doesn't it? Anyway, so um, it's true. Uh, and, and we've raised our kids like this. The, the issue with prayer for me is that there's a there's something naturally supernatural about the life that you live as a couple and as children. I want my kids to know Jesus isn't about Sundays. He's about seven days a week. So I, my answer to your question is a serious one. I think sometimes we've almost beat ourselves up because we haven't been able to pray together as much as we think we probably should. Can I just tell the Terry Virgo is? I'll tell you, tell, tell one, so, so this is a true story that will illustrate the point I want to make. And you can decide which way you want to go. So a number of years ago, we were in a younger leaders gathering of New Frontiers. Most of these couples were in full-time ministry, planting churches or leading churches. Almost everybody is kind of in their 20s and 30s. And Terry and Wendy Virgo were there and we were there and we had this Q&A thing. We were a forum, and everybody was invited to ask questions. Someone said uh, to Terry, what do, you, what do you do on your day off? And Terry, Terry kind of didn't quite answer the question in the way that they had hoped he would. And so they pressed him again. There's four of us sitting there. And uh, so what do you do on your day off? And Terry said, well, to be honest, for Wendy and I, the most refreshing thing to do on our day off on a Monday is to spend two to three hours of prayer with one another. We find this is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to do on our day off. All the eyes in the room are now looking at Liz and me. They're not looking at Terry. And the eyes are saying, please tell us you don't do that. <laughs> and I can see what's going on. And so then the microphone's handed to me and I go, we have never prayed together on our day off, ever. It's kind of like... That's not true. And so I just think we're made differently. I mean, that is Terry and Wendy. It's just what they're, they're wired like that. For us, we just have to come to a liberated position 
don't think we've ever prayed on our day off since. No, stop it. Actually, um, it depends on the season of life you're in, doesn't it? With your family and grace for that. But um, in terms of the day off, my answer is Sunday night, I lay hands on my husband, cast out all the things that have troubled him in the day and say, Lord, bless us tomorrow on our day off and let my husband be happy and not overtired. <laughs> but um, no, not, I'm not being flippant. I'm saying prayer is hugely important. And um, I, I think there's been times when one of us has been weak and suffering and the other one has been the strong prayer, the one who's fought the battles, the one who has contested before <coughs> God. So prayer is massive and... Um, it's constantly turning one another to Jesus because we're limited aren't we, in how we can help one another sometimes. And, and being ruthlessly honest, because I think sometimes when you pray together, the real honesty comes out and you get humbled and you realise sometimes you need to confess things to each other. So prayer must be right at the heart of your life together. I remember when we first got married, I was just so embarrassed is this ridiculous to pray with my husband because I was relatively new to prayer having been away for years I found it really difficult until I discovered he's just a bloke he's not someone special and when we come before God together we're just vulnerable and, it, and it's a delight don't don't back off praying together but you know because that's where you win huge battles yeah George If it's not a question, you can come up here and... <laughs> can you hear? Yeah, when you're talking about team and um, questioning your team and going away with people and having people that are accountable, honestly, I felt panicking because we are um, both uh, in full-time work to survive, to live, um, as well as church planting. So when I think about you know, it's a real fight for us to have a date night mm. and to have time together. We're here this weekend, but taking time off mm. our jobs. Yeah. So yeah. having more conferences, that's our family holiday we're sacrificing, which is really important. Um, so I guess what I'm asking, being quite emotional, is how do you, how do you do that in a church planting situation where you're both in, in full-time work as well as your ministry. You can't go away from the weekend because you don't have people mm. to leave the church when mm. you're away. You want to take your team maybe away, but then you're left with maybe three people in church <laughs> because the team is your church. And so, I don't know, do you see what I, I'm asking? And my other kind of question in, in regards to that is in regards to the team. Can you give us some great questions you can ask your team? Like, we've got a couple, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know how I could speak into their marriage. They're older than us, they're quite French and very proper. Um, I don't feel like I can challenge them on their, I ask them, I don't know, the right questions. What are the right mm. things to mm. sure. ask? Sure. There's two questions there, aren't there? <laughs> I think that the, with the first question, please, can I take the pressure off you? Um, you're in a season of life where you can't do that. Hmm. We've had seasons in our life where we can't do that. And so you find 
the availability and the things that work for you in this season. Please don't feel suddenly now you've got to add all this thing on. But the principle hmm. of being in an accountable relationship is still the same. It might mean the diligence together to disciple one another, and then the diligence to have time with friends that you can talk to, and even in other contexts where there's mature couples, even in another country, that you've got access to, to input you, because we've done that as well in the past. Do you see what I mean? It's being creative in how you... It doesn't you have to always be in your internal No. you just share that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. It's being creative with what works for you in your season of life. So mm. it's finding wisdom for that. I'll push it further and say, if you, have, if you can't find it in your team, because it might not be appropriate mm. to have in it... In a church planting. In a church planting context, then Liz is right. Find, find, lean into that relationship with others that can come in and out of your life, etc., etc. But I think we're working towards the thing we've been, that you've heard us say that's troubled you a little bit, mm. that, that you're leaning, you, you are, there will come a time when it will be like that. You'll have an eldership team together, you'll be couples together. And when you do have that, just please make sure that it does happen. Don't, when, when you're not in the situation that George is in and you're in a situation where what we've been taught can be, don't abuse it. Go for it. I'm staggered how many churches I know that the elders and wives never ever get together and share their lives with one another. That, it, when I've pressed them and I've said, why don't you do that? It's like, well, we're too busy or we couldn't get children, our children couldn't get babysitters and blah, 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 blah. We couldn't get babysitters for our children. And it's like, okay, but priorities are a priority you always have time for. And uh, you don't have time for that, but I noticed that you do have time for a lot of other things. If it becomes a priority and it should become a priority, then it works. And we've been doing this for years and years and years. One Friday night a month, we all come together and people go, how do you manage that? Well, it's because it's priority. It just gets in the diet. For most of our elders and wives love it so much, they put it in their diary before anything else that happens. Your second question was about how do you, how do you speak into situations of people that are not at the stage of life where you are and and they're French. I don't quite know what that's got to do with it. Won't go there. And uh, but the but I do actually know what you're talking about. But the the um, I think you know going back to the scriptures of you know how how younger men are supposed to speak to older men as fathers and younger women to older women as mothers. I think there's a clue. Um, your, your relationship as a couple with uh, with peers is probably quite different because you probably think, blow it. We haven't. You, we really talk to one another straight. And I think there's a principle, the way we communicate with different people at different stages of life is, is so you should, you should, you shouldn't just back off, but it does, ask God to show you with wisdom, how do I address this person in this particular way? So I win their attention, but I've done it in such a way that I've honored them and giving them space to come back to me, etc. And because if there, if there are genuine issues in a person's life and they're part of your community, community it's an awful thing if you tiptoe around it. Someone's got to address it. You can't tiptoe around it because it will destroy the group in the end. Yeah. And I've watched some church plants really suffer, almost not take off because we're frightened to talk to somebody in the group 
about an issue and then there has to come a moment where we said we've got to do this for the sake of not only just the church plant but the thousands of people we're trying to reach through the gospel it's kind of worth it one real quick last question on the seasons of life when you know that big change is coming up how do you handle it if one is excited and has great expectations of what's coming builds capacity for it and the other is feeling more daunted or uh, just it's a good question did you hear that hmm. I think you have to wait till you're together on the same I mean, I know depending on what it is, but you can't charge a hedge ahead without the other. I know that when um, friends of ours, PJ and Ashley Smythe, were contemplating moving, um, I think it was to Johannesburg from Zimbabwe, Ashley was just no way did she want to go to Johannesburg she wanted to come to England <laughs> and there was this he had to wait for her to hear from God you know it was a big change and it was prayerfully taking that time I just came into my mind of we sat down and chatted with them about it and about you know he can't just charge ahead if his wife's not with him <laughs> because you're in it together it's not just his idea and it's working that out together so it's definitely need to be on the same page um i can't add to that definitely does that help or yeah, yeah. how would you communicate that if you guys got any examples of that in your life because it's an easier one to push aside whilst waiting for things to difficult to speak or affirm how would you communicate on anything like well i think for me it would, it would be with other people yeah but i think also i would say i'm not going to go ahead into this season of life on my own I uh, would communicate that I'm I'm really happy to wait and for us to come together on the same page sometimes when you hit those different seasons of life you've walked into it inevitably because it's going to happen you're either moving to another church or your kids have come along or they're they're you know it's like when people used to say well, you're doing really well with your children just wait till they're teens was just such a negative so I remember us thinking we can't you know this is we're just waiting for this awful season when we get into our teens and then I suddenly realized we talked to one another about it why are we why is everyone so negative let's go into it knowing that there are issues but we're going to enjoy it I can honestly say that that stage of our life that was the most enjoyable of the whole thing and they were full-on teens all four of them they did everything that teenagers are going to do so it wasn't like they were weird kids but we did it with them and we were absolutely involved with them some parents when their kids become teens get frightened of their teens because they're still your children but they just look big and so they're a bit you know you get big time and i think sometimes you have to trust God that he will show the other person. So when Simon Pettit died 13 years ago um, in South Africa and the guys asked if we would come and help for a season, you know, I don't want to leave the UK and my family and my kids. And our youngest was just heading towards university and so, but God spoke to me, which completely changed everything. And in fact, he even spoke to me rather than Dave about 
where we would reside when we went to South Africa. Because initially it was, well, we'll go to Cape Town because that's where the main, um, uh, more churches are in that area. But God really spoke to me through a sort of vision about actually, no, I want you based in Johannesburg. So it was God's kindness to me that he spoke to me, not just about it's right to go, but where you're to go. So it's really being in faith that God will show each of you the way ahead, you know, that there is that supernatural element. God, if God wants you to do something and go somewhere, he is going to speak to you both. interesting I think we'll just close now because obviously it's gone fiber but I just think um, for us I think our children had always been raised in a missional context mm. so um, our goal was to catch them up on mission we didn't build our lives around them they kind of came with us on mission I'm sure we made some mistakes so I think when it came to things like this they kind of got it and um, that they've kind of released us to that because they're involved in it as well. If they weren't seeing it like that, then there would be, I think, challenges. But I don't think they feel they've been left behind and they kind of understood when we did this move and they were actually really fantastic and behind us and praying for us is great. And, you know, maybe one of the, you know, even now, I think some of them would like to see a little bit more of us maybe. But we, even, even on that context, we, because we, we've now got four kids and they've all got families. <laughs> And they don't live in London, they're all living X miles away from us, so how are we going to see them? Or how are they going to see us? So that is a constant challenge, but one we've found by planning. <laughs> back to planning. <laughs> by planning ahead in the diary, we literally find uh, weekends where we go and see them and spend time with them, because otherwise you're not going to get to see one another at all. I think we probably need to close there. Fantastic to be with you. Well done. Great. <laughs>